Don't we all just need someone to see us some days and say, hey you, you're doing much better than you think. If that's you today, this conversation is the someone you need. We get to chat today with Renee Swope, a former executive director and radio co-host with Proverbs 31 Ministries, best-selling author and speaker. Her passion is to encourage and equip women, moms, and girls to overcome self-doubt and live in the fullness of their God-given purpose, gifts, and potential. We all need a friend like Renee in our lives. She's not just the feel-good, build-you-up kind of friend, but the kind that points you back to truth, back to Jesus, and helps you see the grace and love God has for you every single day. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Renee Swope. Well, Renee, welcome to the conversation this morning. Thanks. It's so good to be here. Yeah. So one of the things that we always do here on My Bridge Radio when, when we have a new guest on is we try to get to know them as a sister in Christ first before we get to know uh-huh. you as an author and a communicator. So we'd love to hear kind of briefly your spiritual journey, how you came to surrender your life to Jesus. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a family that went to church off and on, Mm. mainly holidays. Mm. My parents divorced when I was pretty young. Um, And so my single mom, three kids, just trying Mm. to make it, working a lot of weekends. Um, So it wasn't until we moved to North Carolina from New Orleans uh, when I was in middle school. And in moving into North Carolina, there was just a lot that well, there were just a lot of different churches and friends would invite me to church on Sundays. And, um, and so that's when I began to hear the gospel, but I didn't really grasp it until I really hit rock bottom um, in depression, struggling right on the borderline of some addictions and suicide ideation in college. Mm-hmm. I just um, threw just a series of events growing up, just very performance-based and finding my value and my worth and what I could do and what I could you know, accomplish and really getting uh, everything I ever wanted as far as those accomplishments and like honoring grades and positions and you know, leadership at my school. I still was so empty. Mm-hmm. And I ended up through a series of events in a church by myself on a Sunday morning in January um, of 1989. So it was quite a while ago. And I heard a message of God's unconditional love. And I'd never heard those two words next to each other in a sentence. I didn't think love could be unconditional, but those are the two words that really drew me in because so much of my life felt conditional. That morning I surrendered to that love and began a journey at the age of 21 that, you know, at first it was like rose colored glasses and Jesus loves me and oh my gosh, everything's perfect. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, real life set in and I began to also ask God lots of questions like, why did you let this happen? Why'd you let that happen? Mm -hmm. But then a sweet, hard, broken, beautiful journey Mm -hmm. of over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I love him more and more every day. So grateful. You come to know Jesus at a low point in life, right? You talked about suicidal ideation and, you know, borderline addiction to orientations, just trying to cope with life. Did all that just go away? I know sometimes that happens, but there's plenty of times Mm -hmm. it's a slow roll. Like you got to kind of walk this thing out. So what was that like for you? So it did not all go away. Before I came to Christ, I had stopped drinking because my brother was in rehab Mm. and we went through family recovery and discovered like there was a lot of family dynamics and addictions. And so that scared me enough to actually stop cold because I did not want to end up in the same place. Um, But the depression was the thing that just 
it definitely what's I look back and I think, man, the darkness definitely lost its grip, but I still struggled with sadness and anxiety through counseling, work through a lot of the roots of the lies, the fears, the insecurities. However, they didn't all just go away. It's like they lost that death grip on me. Absolutely. I love that way of phrasing it. It would take years and it would ebb and flow. And I will say today, um, when I got into my forties, we adopted a baby from Ethiopia and we had a 13 year old and 11 year old. (laughs) And I was under contract to write a book and the timing was just not mine. Um, And it's a long story, but I ended up coming to a really bad point where I ended up with severe anxiety-induced depression in my early 40s. I didn't know that's what it was, but my doctor, um, who was a Christian, just prayed with me. And I started on some anxiety and depression medicine that I continue to be on. So it's been over 10 years now. I think early on, it was very circumstantial as well as chemical imbalance. I think now it's just chemical imbalance. And we have a family history on both sides of my parents. I love the way you phrase that where the kind of the death grip kind of lost its, its hold. Yeah. But yet the reality of the fallen world that we lived in and the struggle that you've got historically, even family wise, how have you reconciled that? I guess of saying like, I know Jesus now, but yet this thing kind of keeps staying there for me. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, because I think it's really important to, I think we got to give ourselves permission to yeah. be real. Up front, I was frustrated. God, like I've been through a lot in my life because there's a lot more story of my childhood. Why can't you take this away? You know, I know you can. Why don't you want to? So there have been times when I've been really disappointed and frustrated. But because I've been transparent at times as the Lord has led me to share my story, um, which I didn't do until I was in my 30s, I think. Um, So 10 years, at least into my journey with Christ, I didn't want to tell anybody because I was so ashamed of my depression. But as I trusted the Lord to share my story, as he led me, I began to see other people relate and take a deep breath and share their story. And I realized that my story and my own struggle was setting other people free from their shame and their guilt. And so I realized that I think God allowed it to continue so that I could give hope from the hope I'd received and be able to say, you're not alone. You're not broken. God still has a purpose for you. We've heard the saying, and it can sound like a cliche that God takes our mess and makes it a message, or God takes our pain and gives us purpose. That doesn't happen unless we press into him. And so in my disappointment and in my frustration and in my sadness, I have pressed into that unconditional love. I go back to that place where we started and absorb that love. And then because the shame and the frustration come from like, I want life to be easier. I don't want people to judge me. But when I press back into his unconditional love, it becomes what matters most. And it defines me again. And then I can walk in the hard stuff, but I'm in a place of security. God is always at work among us. While serving a group of refugees in an apartment complex, Chase and Rob in Omaha felt God challenging them with a question. What if you gave these people your life instead of an hour of your week? They responded by leaving their comfortable, picturesque residence and moving into that apartment complex. 
and immediately they faced adversity. We had bed bugs. We had a mouse infestation. We would catch upwards of 12 mice on a weekend. We had cockroaches swimming in our kitchen. We had sewage leaking from our bathroom ceiling off and on. The enemy sought to leverage those adverse living conditions to discourage them and distract from the mission God had called them to. And it nearly worked. I panicked and I said, we're going to go sleep at my sister's house. And my husband said, when God called us to live here, he called us to take on the burdens of our neighbors. We're going to stay here and we're going to sleep here just like our neighbors would have to. They recognized the enemy's attempt to discourage and distract. But Chase and Rob chose to respond by standing their ground and facing the situation. It's amazing how God worked in that situation. We have become family with these people. By choosing to face the adversity, God moved through them and in them. Now I can look at a bed bug, I can look at a cockroach, and I can just say, Satan, you're going to have to try a lot harder than that. My Bridge Radio, celebrating God at work among us. Share your story and join the conversation in the Connect Now section at mybridgeradio.net. So, Renee, I'd love for you to just speak to the person who maybe is really relating to right now to your story. I mean, they come to know Christ, but they still struggle with depression. Maybe they've got some shame there or embarrassed to even feel free to talk about it among their church community. I would look into their eyes and say, I see you and I hear you. And I know this is hard and God wants you to be honest with him about that. And then to open your heart and and your ears to say, not why, but what, like, what, what do you want me to do with this? What story are you writing? That's different than the one I wanted. And how can I walk in that? And Lord, will you just love me into a place of, of caring most about what you think? And then I would also tell them, I want you to know that in the world's eyes, you may be broken and in the world's eyes, you feel damaged, but God sees you and he knows you and he knew you before he formed you. And he knew that this would be a part of your story in a broken world. And he loves you just as you are. You don't have to get better to be loved more. You know, I think that's the biggest part is we live in this world of performance and perfection and striving and can make us feel so damaged. And so we feel like "Mm, we're going to end up on the back of the shelf and nobody's ever, you know, we're going to end up in the discount section that they then donate to Goodwill. You know, that's what it feels like, but it's so not true. If you look in the scriptures, God chose the broken people in this world, the world's eyes to glorify himself and to, you know, impact the world through. And God's got a purpose for you. You have a new book out. It's called A Confident Mom. I'd love to hear, where did that come from? What in you said, I need to write this book? So I wrote a book 10 years ago called A Confident Heart. And in it, I share my story of struggling with paralyzing self-doubt and insecurity, all rooted in many of the things we've talked about today. And it's about how to stop doubting ourselves by living in the security of God's promises. But I knew there was more to the story because there's certain relationships where self-doubt shows up. And for me, in being a mom, that's where it showed up in such a big way and just such a constant almost every day or every other day. But over time, as I learned who I was as a child of God, God 
showed me how to be a mom to my own children. But it wasn't until, you know, I really understood how he saw me and loved me as his daughter that I was really able to love my kids in the same way. And I came to a crisis point back when my boys who were like three and five, somewhere in that age range. And they're now 27 and 24. And we also have a 13-year-old daughter. So this is my story of hitting a rock bottom place where I literally wanted to quit. I looked for pink construction paper that day to write, I quit on it so that I could turn in my own pink slip, you know, which is an old saying, you got your pink slip, which means you're fired from, you know, the olden days. That's how people would know they lost their job. But I was like, I know my husband won't fire me. So I'm just going to fire myself. And I couldn't find any pink construction paper. And so I ended up in my favorite chair with the Lord in my journal. And he used a story that I was in an article I was editing to just begin to really show me it wasn't time to quit. It was just time to find a new place to start. This is the book I've always wanted to write. I really didn't want to write the last one uh, because it was so hard. (laughs) But this one is, um, gosh, it's my legacy. It's the legacy I want to leave with this generation of moms and not just young moms. I've had moms who have teenagers and adult children say like this book has the perspectives I wish I'd had, but now I can go back or I'll go to my kids and implement or with grandkids or give to my adult kids for them to be able to live from. That's why I wanted to write it. Mm. What's your prayer in terms of how God would use this? So in the book, I have three sections. And the first section, it starts in our heart. And then the middle section is simple ways to give our children what they need most. And then the last section is what your heart needs to know. So what my prayer is, is that through that first section, a mom will be able to see a lot of her struggles are rooted in her high expectations of herself to do it all, be it all, all at the same time. And how we're setting ourselves up for failure, really by comparing ourselves so much and by being so critical of ourselves and just really how to position ourselves to see ourselves through God's eyes. In the middle section, my hope is that They will see that they don't have to do these big things. There are simple ways to give our children what they need most. You know, there's a array of like 15 different chapters in our children's needs. And then that last section is really for her heart on the hard days to realize she's not what she does. She's not a failure just because she fails. Like a a bad day doesn't make her a bad mom. That guilt, which moms are plagued with is stealing time that she doesn't have to lose And that she has what it takes to be a confident mom. The confidence doesn't come from self-confidence because we have all these principles and this formula figured out. It comes from laying our head on the pillow at night and knowing we did the best we could with what we have, which we can gain through all of these chapters. And the best we have some days might be saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me to our kids when we spoke harshly to him or didn't follow through on a promise we made, or maybe the best thing we did that day was order pizza instead of making dinner time, a disastrous, stressful situation. Like it's not these big things we have to do. And I know that from having adult sons. Now, when I talk to them about what mattered most, it wasn't the trip to Disney world. It was the little things that were as consistent as I could possibly make them. Renee, aren't you glad that the requirement for really actually great parenting isn't perfection? (laughs) You know, (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. we all yeah. fail? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I've, I've got a 33-year-old, 31-year-old, and a 29-year-old. I was so far from perfect. One of the last things that you shared a few moments ago, just that, man, but every day I got up and I did the best I could and I stayed at it. I never quit, you know, and I had wins and man, they remember the wins. Like they very gracious, but, uh, our kids turned yeah. out great and we have great relationships with them. And it wasn't because I was perfect parent. But you know, I think Stan, it was because you cared, like because you wanted to be a good parent. I know for me, if I could go back, I would have enjoyed being their parents more when they were younger. I'm really enjoying it now, but I would have put less pressure on myself. So I would have enjoyed it more, but because I cared and wanted to be a good mom and wanted them to experience as much of what God's love looks like in their everyday life, I think that's what they remember. So caring is good. Don't give up in, in wanting to care, but give yourself a break in knowing that you are doing better than you think. And if you feel like you're not doing enough, write down what would be enough. Because what I realize is even if I did enough, I wouldn't know it because I'd never defined it. That's what I tell a lot of younger moms, especially, but even older moms. I mean, I hear from moms have, you know, elderly parents and they feel guilty for what they're not doing for their parents. And I'm like, define enough, come up with some realistic <laughs> pictures of enough. And then when you do those things, celebrate that you did enough. Both of the boys have read the book and they are so kind and so sweet. And they've just told me like, this was my favorite chapter and this is what I love. And one of the things I love that Andrew said, he said, mom, my favorite chapter is the chapter where I, you tell the story of I, me biting Joshua, which is my oldest son, uh, when he was like five years, you know, Andrew was five years old and the whole story of what God was doing in your heart throughout the whole event <laughs> of that evening, but also how you talk about the forgiveness and apologizing and having me go back and apologize to Joshua and ask for forgiveness. And he said, you taught us um, what I call the language of apology. And he said, it's so powerful in my marriage. Like there's nothing more valuable you guys passed on to me than to learn how to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And to restore our relationship. He's like, it has helped my marriage so much. That had to have melted your mother heart. Oh my gosh. To hear your grown sons speak back to you words of life that you spoke to them when they were growing up, applying it in their lives now. There's nothing better than that. Nothing. When I was writing a chapter on prayer, I actually, I uh, called him and was like, did we teach you guys like how to pray? Because <laughs> I don't remember us ever sitting yeah. down. And he's like, I don't remember you guys ever sitting down, but you lived prayer. Yes. What I remember is when someone was sick or something, we would just circle up and pray. And sometimes, you, you know, we didn't want to pray. We were little. We thought y'all were weird. But that practice of prayer taught me the lifestyle of prayer. And then also he experienced some major fear when he was really little. And I taught him how to pray scripture. And he's like, now with Brandy, who is his wife, when she is experiencing like overwhelming anxiety, I just stop and we start praying scripture. So yes, Stan, to have that come back. And let me tell you, I messed up. Like I did a lot of things and my kids are not perfect. Andrew became an atheist when he was 15. 
So we've got some hard stuff in there, but God in his goodness, even when Andrew became an, an atheist at 15, it was the Lord's grace that just told us like, don't push him because if you push him towards me, you're going to push him away from yourself. Let me pursue him and just be who you say I am and love him and serve him. And God wooed him. I mean, it was a year and a half of pain and we didn't know what was going to happen, but the Lord wooed him to himself. And Andrew ended up going to college and studying to be a youth minister. Hope filled, Jesus focused, commercial free. You can connect with MyBridge Radio anywhere you go. Open the MyBridge Radio app and press play or click listen live at mybridgeradio.net. Renee, kind of watching my son's got two kids and he and his wife do a phenomenal job. But I like as a grandparent, all I have to do is enjoy them now. There are some times when I'm watching them and kind of work with their kids it, it, totally appropriately, right? But I'm like, oh, just that's always okay. Like enjoy them a little bit, right? And they do, they do a great job. But I just thought, man, it's easier as a grandparent. But it did make me think, I wish I w- would have maintained more of that kind of posture of just delighting in my kids. I do. And I can't wait to have grandkids because I know it's going to be that way. My husband are like, Ooh, when are the babies coming? Yeah. But um, I think if knowing my personality, because I, I like to get things done and there are things to get done, I would have blocked out time to get away from all the things that need to get done and really carve that out to have time where we could really enjoy it. Now, you know, going on vacation can be a disaster because it's so stressful. (laughs) But maybe smaller little day trips or, but just literally blocking out, putting boundaries like a highway, you know, putting up some guardrails that this is going to be time that even if things go wrong, we're going to laugh and we're going to have fun. I just would have planned and blocked out more times. And like with Aster, who's 13, I'm older. And so, and because of having adult sons, I can see like, oh, like, wow. Okay. They give you a lot. They forget a lot and they give you a lot of grace. So I think trusting older people who tell you that, um, you know, trusting that. I like that thought though of planning intentional, just enjoyment, relational time with your kids where it's like, there's no pressure on them, no pressure on you. We're just going to enjoy these moments. Our most important ministry is with our kids. And it's not just doing Bible study and family devotions and praying. It's doing life. I was thinking, Renee, there was a kind of a window of time where I was kind of reflecting on my parenthood. And is there anything I regret? Is there anything I would do different? Is there anything I think I missed? And it was interesting because I had something that I thought, I don't think I ever intentionally taught my kids this. And actually it was not being content with living a life just for self, but really living a life investing in in other people. I don't remember ever sitting down and talking to them about that, right? But the thing that was so encouraging as I kind of reflected on that though was my kids do that. Every one of my kids, they are not satisfied with not living lives in some way, shape or form in what they do and those around them, that they're seeking to make a difference in the lives of other people. I'm referencing something you said earlier where you said you didn't teach it, but you lived it. And because of that, they caught it. And there may have been a time when they were little that I sat down and said, you know, prayer is just about talking Mm -hmm. to God. But it wasn't like we studied how to pray and we, you know, did a Bible study about prayer. Like, I don't think we ever did that. It's funny. My son who um, is 24, Andrew, who I mentioned earlier, he's like, mom, when we have kids, like we're going to do family devotions. And why didn't you guys do that? And I was like, 
We did. You guys just wouldn't sit still. You were climbing all over the furniture. And, you know, we tried, you know, but, but so they don't remember a lot of those younger years. Right. But I think those heart connections are being made in those early years that are super important. But yeah, they absolutely do absorb what we're doing. I have a, like three parenting stakes in the grounds that I made early in in my life. And one of those was I'm going to spend a whole lot more time trying to be the kind of person I want my kids to be versus trying to get them to be the person that I want them to be. And because I really do believe that it's more caught than taught. And so the biggest thing that I needed to do, if I wanted to see see it in my kid's life is to make sure that I could see it and they could see it in my life. Right. And sometimes that's hard because um, you know, some guilt can come. I know it did for me because there is that cliche. We think it's a cliche more is caught than taught. And it's so true. Um, it's not just a cliche. And yet then I would feel so bad for the times that I lost my temper or I used really critical words or I didn't keep my promise. So what I would do in those moments though, is realize that, um, I have to go to the Lord to change. Like I can't just do my own behavioral management. Like you talk, like I want to be the person that I want them to be. And yet what if I deal with anger issues I can't just decide my way out of anger issues or decide my way out of discontentment. Um, That goes back to my relationship with the Lord and spending time with him and asking him to show me that what, where this is coming from. So if someone who is listening, hears us talking about this and there's issues in their life that they feel, you know, shame and guilt because their kids might pick up on the way they've been, God is not disappointed in you. Like he understands, he knows you, he made you, and he's the only one who can help you walk through how to get to a different place, you know, through the power of Christ in you. If you are a believer and have his Holy Spirit, Christ in you can do a work. (laughs) He who began a good work in you can complete it, but it's through our surrender. There are so many other places I could go with you right now. My, my mind is exploding with all these tracks I'd love to, to chase with you, which means you have to come back. I would love to. This is what I want to talk about for the rest of my life. We'll give you that opportunity. If you'd be willing to kind of close our time praying over moms. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the moms who are listening right now um, and the dads. Lord, you have called us to a very important role as parents. And Lord, we are inadequate. We um, feel like a failure many times. The enemy is coming after us and trying to take us out or get us so focused on our inadequacies and our failures that we are paralyzed and kept from doing the good that we have to do and and the love that we have to give. And so, Lord, I pray a special blessing on them right now that they would remember today that you see them, that you love them, that you delight in them, And Lord, that you see beyond who they are right now to who they can become as they walk with you and talk with you and allow you to love them as a child and then teach them how to be like you as a mom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you so much, sis. Thanks so much. What a breath of fresh air. Like that's what this conversation felt like to me. I am actually taking a deep breath. She is so encouraging. The biggest takeaway for me was when Renee said, define enough, like literally write down what you think enough is, then celebrate when you do those things. I love what she said. 
Even if I did enough, I'd never know it because I've never defined it. How true is that? We live in a world that sets us up for failure every day with unrealistic expectations all over the place. But when we're living in God's kingdom, we're set up for success. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, friends. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more from Renee Swope, check out her newest book, A Confident Mom, Simple Ways to Give Your Child What They Need Most. And as always, to hear more from MyBridge, tune in to your local MyBridge radio station, listen online with our app at home through your smart speaker or on mybridgeradio.net. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.